And when we get there, we can do something for God. When we realize we need him and that, that we're never going to stop needing him. See, the thing is, we are called the children of God. There's never any reference to the adults of God. We, we've got to realize that this, this, this life, we, we're, not go, we're not going to get to where we can do this alone. It, do, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for two weeks or you've been saved for 40 years, you need him. Hallelujah. The preacher asked and I began to pray over what to, to preach on and the Lord's just got a simple thought on my heart. I'm just going to mind him. I'm nervous. I don't ever want to not be nervous. I don't ever want to be where I, th I believe I can do this. Like I said, we're, we're the children of God. We don't, ever want to, we don't ever need to start growing up to where we don't need our Father. Hallelujah. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to find Hebrews chapter number 8. This, this, is, this message is uh, just, it, it blesses my heart looking at back over some of these things right here. And it's just, it's just amazing when, when you, just, you just look at the Bible and you just see just what price was paid for our salvation. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 8, um, Brother Eric, pray for before we get too carried on. Hallelujah. Amen. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 8, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you know Hebrews is called the book of better. Hebrews is looking back at everything in the Old Testament and saying, hey, look how much better we have it. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if you, you want to have a blessing, go, go, go search in your Strong's Concordance for the word better through Hebrews, and you'll, you'll just see how blessed you are. But I want to preach tonight on just a simple thought, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm telling you, I don't ever want to get over the blood. I don't ever want to get to where it doesn't do something for me to hear somebody talk about how the blood of Jesus Christ is what washed away my sins. I don't ever want to get past that song, there is a fountain filled with blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't ever want to get past that. I'm, I'm telling you, I, if, if I could call it every single Sunday, we'd sing this under the blood because you know what? I, I can't ever get over that a guy like me, his sins are under the blood. And if it's under there, it's gone. It's clean. They're, 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 they're gone. You can't find them. You might be able to find some wicked person find them, but you ain't going to find them in the record of God. But Hebrews chapter number 8, I just want to read the first two verses here, and then we're going to go ahead and start preaching a little bit. Hebrews 8, verse 1 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, and not man. You, if you open up the ch chapter number 8, and he says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Now, you're looking at everything back to chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. He said, this is the sum. 
And he's going to begin to start talking about Jesus Christ and what he did for us and how he shed his blood for the church and shed his blood for lost mankind. Everything is dependent on that. Everything that we have is dependent on Jesus Christ dying for our sins. But if you look at the sum, you, you, you go through the book of Hebrews chapter 1, you see the greatness and you see the glory of Jesus Christ, how he is magnified over the angels. He is given a position much higher than them and how he will one day, the enemy shall be his footstool. And you see how great and wonderful and glorious Jesus Christ is. You look at chapter 2, you see in chapter 2, you see the crown that he bore. You see how he is crowned with honor. But you know what the crown he had was a crown of thorns that he wore. That was the crown that he took for us. And I'm telling you, how can we say that that's a crown of honor? Because he tasted death for every man. I'm telling you, he didn't leave any one of them out. I'm, I'm telling you, this Calvinism stuff that still for some godforsaken reason is going around, I'm, I don't understand how you can believe God would only pick some. But friend, I digress. I won't be, what, belabor that any, anymore right here. But he wore a crown for us. You see chapter 3, you see the house of Jesus Christ. Who's that? That's us. When we got saved, he moved in. When we got saved, he moved in. He started leading, he started guiding, he started directing, he started basically being our best friend. And friend, he walks with me, he talks with me, he guides me, he leads me, he directs me. He, his word, it helps me. And friend, he lives within me. Chapter 4, you see a rest there is for the people of God. There is therefore yet a rest for the people of God. Friend, take comfort in this right here. When you are in this world down here, we're going to have suffering, we're going to have trials, we're going to have hard times, we're going to have all these things, but there's a rest that's coming. I'm telling you something, friend, we can, we can, we can make all these diet things right, we can do all the workouts right, we can get all, all the right sleep and everything. We don't know rest until we know Christ. Friend, I'm telling you, you, you I've heard it too many times to, to, to even just, just quote it when somebody says, I, I got saved and I slept like a baby. But friend, let me tell you, there's a greater rest coming when we go from this life to that in the moment and the twinkling of an eye and we are transformed and we get to spend eternity. Think about it, eternity with Christ. Not only do we have in chapter 4, we got the sword. This thing right here we see in Hebrews chapter 4 is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's it. what we're building up to is the sum of all this. Chapter 5, we got the priesthood of Jesus Christ, how he, he is the high priest. He is the high priest that was able to continue because he doesn't die. Hallelujah. Chapter 6, you got the promise of God where he's basically saying, I swore by an oath and I couldn't swear by anybody higher, so I swore by myself. And I'm telling you, if God made you a promise and you've got them in his word, friend, you can take it to heaven's bank. Not this bank down here. You can take it to heaven's bank. What he said, he will perform. In chapter 7, we've got Melchizedek, and we've got the greater testament. If that, if that law that was in place was perfect and could give us eternal life, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But you know what? That law couldn't save us. That law couldn't give us life. So Jesus came and did it for us. And I'm telling you, he became, he became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. And one of my favorite verses in Hebrews is Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost 
that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. So what do we have the sum of? Everything that you just heard is dependent on this one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. All these things that you hear, uh, we, what we get up and we exhort and we praise God about, why we shout hallelujah, why we say amen, why we go through things and, it, and we just keep marching on for God, why we live the way we live, why we don't live the way we used to live, it's all coming to one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. What he did on that cross makes the difference. The sum of everything that we have here. We have a church here at 315 Oglesby Bridge Road because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, we are here tonight because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I, could, I, I, would, I would hate to explain to you what I was before I got saved. I'm, t I'm telling you, I, I believe it would probably be just shameful for me to talk about what I used to be like. But the blood of Jesus Christ has saved me, gave me a life worth living. And you know what, friend? I am here because the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I don't ever want to get over it. I don't ever want to get, get a book or a Bible that calls itself a Bible that doesn't have the blood in it. I don't ever want to sing songs that don't have the blood in it. I'll take that old hymnal. I'll take the old songs written by the old men and the old women who knew something about Christ. I will take that over all this new stuff. Not saying all the new stuff is bad, but friend, let me tell you something. Those that sang and wrote those songs back there knew something about Christ. They didn't, they didn't just write, there is a fountain filled with blood just because, you know what, it rhymed. They wrote that because they understood just how bad and wicked of a person he was. Hebrews 8, verse 3 says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer this man, Jesus Christ, Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shewed to thee in the mount. When we read that Old Testament... And we see, bring this sacrifice here. We see, bring this sacrifice here. It's, it's acceptable this way. It's not acceptable this way. When it's this kind of offering, that kind of offering, all it was was a shadow of Jesus Christ. You say, well, hey, explain that. Well, let's see, the sin offering. Jesus bore my sins. The trespass offering, I had crossed God. Jesus brought me back on the right line. The peace offering, he had made peace. Hey, remember this morning's message? He had made peace. He had brought two together into one. And he, well, guess what? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore now being justified, we have peace with God. Friend, did you know you were the enemy of God? Did you know before you met Jesus you were his enemy? And he would have justly and 100% justly put you in hell forever as the enemy of God. But friend, all those offerings, all they were were just shadows and pictures of Jesus and he was on his way. Exodus 25, 40 says, And look that thou make them after their pattern which has shewed thee in the mount. A lot of people like to look at this verse and say, Well, you know what? What did God show Moses when he was up there? Well, obviously, he did build a physical tabernacle, but every little piece of that tabernacle had to do with Jesus, the gold, his deity. 
The silver is, is payment for sin. The brass, judgment. The wood, talking about his humanity, wrapped in gold. He was 100% man and he was 100% God 100% of the time. Hallelujah. And friend, the, 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 you see, well, what about those skins on the outside? He hath no beauty nor comeliness that we would desire him. There is nothing special about the outside of Jesus. There was nothing, and I, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't care how many people paint pictures, there was nothing that basically he came on the scene and he had this glowing ring around him or anything like that. You had to get inside that right there to really know what he was all about. You had to get in Christ and you had to be born again, born of the Spirit and put into the body to really see what you've got. Colossians says there's treasures all in there. If you, you, ever, you ever, get, ever get bored every now and then of your Christian walk, just say, you know what? Well, God, I know there's treasures in here. Help me open some boxes. Hallelujah. But not only in Exodus 25, but in Exodus 26, 30, Exodus 27, 8, Numbers 8, 4, and Acts 7, 44, all those times it's recorded where Moses said, there was a pattern shown to me. And that pattern, when it came to the New Testament, was all in one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, now this, this is the thing. Anybody who wants to say you can work your way to heaven, you need to take them right here. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. If we could have worked our way in, if we could have done something, don't you think we would have gotten that in the law? Where he said, you know what, if you bring a turtle dove and you turn its neck a certain way on Sunday at 3.30 p.m. facing east and holding one hand this direction and everything, don't you think that would have been in there? But there was absolutely nothing in that law that said, you do this and you will be righteous. There was just this atonement for time, 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 and time. There was no forever. For then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. If there was a law that could have given life, then Jesus Christ died in vain. I, I, say, I say things like that because here's the truth. We can't make it without him. If you think there's any other way to get saved other than Jesus Christ, then I'm telling you something, friend, Jesus died in vain. If you could get baptized and get saved, I'm, I, I've, I've, said, I've said statements like this before, I would quit my job, I would go door to door with a bucket of water or a tub of water in the back of a truck. I would quit my job and say, now just go knock on doors saying, hey, uh, it'll just be 30 seconds. If I can just dunk you real quick, you'll spend forever in heaven. If there was a prayer you could repeat, there'd be a magic prayer book in here and we'd have 67 books. I'd quit my job and I would just simply go and knock on every single door I could and say, hey, I just want to borrow 20 seconds of your time. Say this. But friend, it's all Jesus. You can't work your way in. You don't get a coupon book and you start doing it here and then you work the rest of the way in. It's all about Jesus. Galatians 3.21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the law didn't have something that could give you life. But what it did do is say, hey, guess what, buddy? You don't measure up. We look at that law and we look at some of these things that we look back there and go ahead and just be honest. I don't know how to explain some of the stuff that's in there. Why should you not wear a garment made out of two things? Why in the New Testament do I have to cut my hair? God's word just says it. We can't measure up. So what we needed is we needed somebody to come who was perfect and measure up for us. And his name was Jesus. Verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Under that first covenant, every year, you came back and you brought a sacrifice. You ever stepped outside a line, you came back, you brought another sacrifice. You messed up the next day, you came back, you brought another sacrifice. If you ever messed up, you had to have another sacrifice. You had to have another sacrifice. You had to just, it, 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 it was never ending. Every single year, you came and brought a sacrifice. Every single trespass, you brought a sacrifice. But in the New Testament, <laughs> the benefit of the New Covenant is this. When you came to Jesus and you got saved, it was one time. Hebrews 10, just go through there every now, and then, every now and then and just look at all those once and one offerings. And friends, it'll get a, you'll get a blessing just from that. But Acts 13, verse 38 39 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's another scripture that says, In every offering... There was a remembrance of those sins. And God said, if you came to Calvary and you got under the crimson flow, I remember them no more. Every year you'd bring that lamb, you'd bring that, you'd bring that turtle dove, you'd bring that meal, you'd bring all these things, and you'd remember the last time you'd done it, and this is probably not going to be the last. And friend, you brought it, and you brought it again, and you brought it again, and you brought it again, and you brought it again. But when you came to Jesus, hey, I'll tell you something, friend. One of the things that's going to happen when you get saved is you're going to trip and fall. Just go ahead and be honest. If you've lived perfect since you've been saved, you've either been saved for about three minutes or you need to tell me your secret or you need to repent from lying. I, I remember when I, I got saved because it was a wonderful, glorious day. And I still remember some of the first times I tripped and fell on my face. You know what I didn't have to do? I didn't have to go back there and say, Jesus, save me again. Jesus, okay, well, Jesus, I've sinned. And you know what? I know this isn't my last time. And please clean me up again. Uh, please forgive me for my sins. I trust you and all these things. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to bring another turtle dove. I came to him, got it right. And guess what? You know what? I still sealed. Ephesians 1 7 says in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace we have redemption 
We have been redeemed. We have been brought back into the position where we are actually as righteous as Christ because we have his righteousness. He rose, he rose again for our justification and his imputed righteousness is upon my account. It's not just as if I never sinned. It is just as if I have always been as righteous as Christ. Now don't, don't, don't look at me funny when I say that, friend. That's the only way in is to, that righteousness. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9. Don't worry, I'm only preaching about seven more chapters. Amen. I'll have to repent of that one. Hebrews 9 verse 1 says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of, a divine, of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Verily the first covenant had ordinances of a divine service. So God had ordained that first covenant. God had ordained it. He gave it to Moses, wrote it on the tablets. He had done all these things, and God had set that up as a way to show Israel that they need him because they're not righteous. It, in Galatians, it said that it is the schoolmaster to bring us unto grace. You got to understand, when you read that Old Testament, God has been gracious from day one. He, he, he was going to kill some men, and Moses steps in and intercedes, and he doesn't kill them. He was gracious before then when Abraham said, hey, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare it? I'll spare it. Got all the way down to 10. Couldn't even find 10 righteous men. If you could find 10 righteous men in Sodom, the wickedness they were doing, God would have said, I'll spare it. But all the artifacts of the Old Testament tabernacle were inferior to the new. We, have, we, we go through these next few verses and it mentions these several things that these are the ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. In verses 1 and 2, we have that worldly sanctuary and verse 2 says, for there was a tabernacle made. In the Old Testament, you had a tabernacle. And then at one point, you had a temple when it was built. Right now, we have a church. I would much rather be in the church than that tabernacle. Can I tell you why? Because in that tabernacle, only certain men could go in there to pass that second veil. You went past that second veil and you weren't one of them mid, boom, dropped down. And here, I can come to this altar. I can, I can come through those doors. I don't have to check a card there. I don't have to pay to come in. And you know what, friend? I can come in here. I can congregate with the saints. I can congregate with the family of God. And you know what else? I can congregate with God here. I can come here into the presence of God. Verse 2 says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick. So in the Old Testament, you had a candlestick. New Testament, we have the true light. John 1, 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You'd come, you'd come in in, in the old tabernacle and there'd be that, that seven-veined, seven whatever it's called. I, sh I should know what it's called. But you'd have that candle. That was the light that you had in there. I walk around with the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world because I know Christ. And because I know Christ, the light that lighteth every man, that lights my journey, that lights my path, that lights my understanding of his word, that lights my day, that lights my life, walks with me and talks with me. I'll take the New Testament. Hallelujah. 
There was a tabernacle made. The first one was a candlestick and the table. Now you go in that you go in that temple, you go in that tabernacle, and you have a table, and we have shoe bread, which we're getting to. And they would have this table set up with things that they've used for the service of God. And in that table and in that tabernacle, that was always being used because it was never done. This right here says, this do in remembrance of me. I don't have a sacrifice that is being done and being done and being done. One note that I, I came across as a major blessing is in M.R. DeHaan's book, The Chemistry of the Blood. There's no chair in the Old Testament tabernacle because they were never done. And Jesus, when he finished his work, he sat down on the right hand of the... Why do we have this table? Because we remember, it's done. It's done. What we do, we, we come in every now and then, we'll have, the, we'll have the wine, we'll have the bread, and we'll have the Lord's Supper showing his death till he comes again saying, you know what, it's done. It's done. We don't have to come back and crucify him again. We don't have to have some, some priest come in here with a big old stick on there with a, with a cross on and everything, shaking and splashing whatever. He's done. He's rose again. He is at the right hand of the Father. It's done. Hallelujah. Wherein was a candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. Now, in the Old Testament, you had the shoe bread. Now we have the bread of life. I love that John 6 passage, and it was preached the other day. How he said, You know what? I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. But if you eat this bread that I give you, you shall live forever. All that shoe bread out there, six loaves by six loaves. And you know what, friend, you could, you could do that in the service of God. And that's what they had every single morning. Put more bread out. Put more bread out because we're not done. One bite. One bite. One bite of that bread of life. And, friend, you'll live forever. Friend, I'm telling I'm tell you, I cannot get over the fact that we don't have to come back in here every Sunday, confess sins, get right, get saved again. One bite. Hallelujah. Verse 3, and verse 2, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, in that Old Testament tabernacle, you had that veil, and it, it was a partition, it was a divider between that outside part of the sanctuary and the holiest. And you had another one where the mercy seat was sitting. You could not go beyond that unless you were a certain man. You could, not, you could not just simply walk in that old, old tabernacle and say, yep, all right, going to go back through here. We're going to go talk to God. We're going to have ourselves a time. You didn't do that. You had one man that would go in there one time a year and talk to God for you. When Jesus is on that cross, that veil was rent from top to bottom, saying, you know what? Whosoever will, let him come. We have the veil in the Old Testament Guess what? We just have Jesus in the New Testament. Hebrews 10, 20 says, By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, he died so I could be reconciled back to God. I'm like I said, we were an enemy. Me, me, me and God, before I got saved, I was his enemy. And you know what? I was, the, I was a good old boy. Yeah, we, we, all, we all know some of those we've witnessed too. I, I don't... I don't do those bad sins. 
Well, you know what? I got some of those little ones and everything like that. So, you know what? Me and God are okay. No, you're not. You, you ask anybody. It'll, it'll be days before you find somebody that's going to say, I'm lost. Everybody's had a preaching grandpa. Everybody thinks Christianity is a default position. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim or anything like that. So I must be a Christian. I'm an American, so I must be a Christian. What I had to get over was the fact that I believed I was righteous. I had to repent of that and draw myself to Christ and just say, you know what? I'm not righteous. You're the Savior. You're righteous. I'm unrighteous. I am dirt. I need you. Verse 4, which had the golden censer. They had the censer in the Old Testament where they put the incense in and they put the fire in and those other things like that they would have to use for the service of God. What do we have in the New Testament? We have Christ offered. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know what? Jesus Christ is keeping my relationship with God right. I don't have, I don't have to worry about saying, you know what, I'm going to make up my relationship with everything. He's making an intercession for me. Hallelujah. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant. Now this is a special one. This ark in the Old Testament, we've all heard about the story about the ark, how it was special, had a special way it had to be carried. It had, it had things that were placed inside of it. It was overlaid with gold. And it represented the presence of God. Back then you had the ark. And that's all you had. In the New Testament, you go to that book of Matthew, chapter number 1, and they shall call his name Jesus. You didn't just have something that represented the presence of God. You had God manifest in the flesh. John 1, verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That art was, was special in that time. It was a special thing. As a matter of fact, God, God said it was very special because he dropped a man who put his hands on it who shouldn't have. And God did that because God had a specific way. You can run to Jesus right now. You don't have to wait for an altar call. You don't have to wait for a certain... You don't even have to be here. You can be behind an old stinky dumpster and you can run to Jesus. And you can grab a hold of Jesus. If you want to run into that tabernacle and grab a hold of that ark, God will drop you dead. But if you don't come and run to Jesus and grab a hold of him, God's going to put you in hell forever. Hallelujah. The Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was a golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and all these things were in there, in the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory. Now, now cherubims, you've you got to go dig through your Bible for this one right here. The first time you come across a cherubim is in Genesis 3. Adam had sinned. He had crossed the line with God. And they were kicked out of the garden. They were forced out of the garden. And God put a cherubim there with a flaming sword. So you see a cherubim is basically saying this. You are not right enough to get in here. You do not deserve to get back in here. You are fallen. You are wicked. You are ungodly. Those cherubims are sitting on top of that ark that if you touch, you died. It was saying, hey, you are not good enough. In the New Testament, John chapter number 20, they roll the stone away, and in there you see two angels. And you know what those angels aren't saying? Hey, get out of here. Get out of here. They're saying, hey, come here. 
Look, he's not here anymore. You better come in here and look at this right here. He, he was here, but he ain't anymore. He, 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 isn't, he isn't sitting here saying, you're not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, saying, hey, guess what? He's not here anymore. You better go find him. You better go run and get him. He is risen. He is going. He is risen indeed. And over at the cherubim's glory, shadowing the mercy seat. The mercy seat we had in the Old Testament, we didn't have, was had in the Old Testament, and it was where God would meet you. And like I said, one man, one time a year, could go into that place. That was it. And it was so, it was so special, it was so sacred. You can read about how there was a bell and then a pomegranate stitched all around the outside of his garment. So it'd go ding, ding, and it'd make all this noise while he was in there. And you knew as long as you heard that, because you couldn't go in there and look. As long as you heard that, as long as you heard that, you knew God has not rejected it. If you ever got dropped dead, you'd stop hearing some bells. But here's the thing about the New Testament. In the New Testament, we don't just have a, we don't have a mercy seat. We have a throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can run to him anytime. You don't have to have a certain garment on or anything like that. You don't have to get all your stuff, all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. You just come running to him. I'm, I'm telling you, I have come to Jesus when I've been wrong, and he hasn't thrown me out. He has commanded me to repent, but he has not thrown me out. I've came to Jesus when I need help, and he has helped me. And friend, I want to tell you, we shouldn't take for granted the fact that we have a God that we could bow our heads right now. I'm telling you, while this service is going, we could bow our heads right now and talk to. So what does the blood of Christ have to do with all this? Verse 11, chapter 9. But Christ... We see, we see all these things, and we're seeing the sum of everything that we're looking at in the book of Hebrews. Verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ through, through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ is what makes it possible for us to be here today. First thing the blood of Christ does is it saves. Revelation 1.5, I'm, try, I'm trying to pull it down into four-wheel low here for just a moment. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How does that happen? I don't know how to explain that. But I know this. When I called upon him, he washed me free of all those sins. He didn't, he didn't leave a little bit of them out. I was clean. I was then sealed into the day of redemption. The blood of Jesus Christ saves. 
And if you didn't get under the blood, friend, you didn't get saved. Now, friend, I, I, I don't, I don't want to bat points with anything like that right there, but I want to say this. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and shed his blood, and that sacrifice is what saved. You put your trust and your faith in that, and you'll be saved. The blood of Christ also sanctifies now, sanctification is the carrying on to perfection, the work begun in regeneration. Basically, when you got saved, God started working on you. He started working on this area. He started working on that area. And friend, I can tell you this, he's worked on me a whole lot. I'm, 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 I'm closer now than I was when I got saved. I'm, I'm not more saved. I am not more saved. I am closer to him. But he works on you, and he works on you. And then when something comes up, he has to work on you. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. When we get out of line, and we're supposed to be walking this way, and we step over here, and we've got to get it right, we walk and we get closer to him, and the blood cleans us up. The third thing the blood does, I'm almost done, hallelujah. The third thing the blood does is it gives victory. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Friend, the blood of Jesus Christ is why I'm here right now. I got victory over things in my life that has kept me in this fight. And friend, when the devil comes up against you and your old man comes up against you and they all team up on you, newsflash tomorrow's Monday and when they all team up on you and they start trying to beat you down the only thing you can go to is the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has washed me clean sometimes the only thing I can go back to and retreat to is the fact that I know I am saved and I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and I know that he has, he has made me a new creature and some, sometimes it's, this is all I've got is just knowing I know Jesus and friend, when we start going to that and we start realizing, hey, where we are today is because of the blood of Christ, we can go on for him. And the last thing that the blood of Jesus Christ does is it satisfies. I want to read this in Isaiah, and you've, you've probably heard it a hundred times. But Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. That doesn't leave anybody out. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Now we've looked at Christ in this. I want you to see 
God the Father. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased God for what Jesus Christ suffered. It pleased God to put that punishment on his son. I don't even try to comprehend that. I don't even try to think about being a father and it pleasing the father to put that on his son. But it pleased God to do this. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul. Travail, the suffering, the pain, the anguish, the, the, what he is going through. He shall see the travail of his soul. Jesus, I know Hebrews says he was a joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. But God looked upon the travail of his son's soul. He didn't just go up there and as the paintings put, have a little blood here and a little blood here. He was marred more than any man has ever been marred. You could not recognize Jesus that day. If my Bible is true, he, there has never been a man who has suffered more than Christ. And my Bible is true. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Like I said, I don't try to, to kind of come up with reasoning on this. But it pleased God, and it satisfies God, and it satisfied the wrath of God, it satisfied the justice of God, it satisfied the payment demanded of God for our sins, for Jesus to suffer on the cross, to suffer and die a sinner's death, to suffer and die in a murderer's place. And Jesus Christ shed his blood to satisfy his Father. How? How can we look at that and not wonder how great of love God has for us? Friends, I, I, I know it's not a beautiful sight to look at, but if you ever wonder, can God ever forgive me? Can God ever, get, can, can, I, can I ever get victory over that sin? Can I ever get to where, I do, I, where I'm walking with God and I'm pleasing him? Go look at that cross. Go look at the Son of God. Go look at what he did and realize the blood that he shed was for you. The blood that he shed was for me. The blood that he shed was for all mankind. And it satisfied God to put that on his son because there is no other way. Without Christ, we would all spend eternity in hell. Without the blood, there is no salvation. Without the blood, there is we wouldn't be here today. This would not be here today. I would not be here today without the blood. We would not be here today without the blood. Friend, we would all still be either out in our sins or dead and in hell without the blood. So when we think, hey, you know what? I don't know if I could ever get over what I used to do. 
I don't think I could ever get over what I had done in my past. Realize this, it's on that cross. And that blood that was shed, it's not weak blood. It is the blood of God that he used to purchase the church with. And he gave his life so that we could live. I, li I like the, the way that, that, that song that Miss Jessica sings about how he was bruised and how he was wounded. And all these things for us. He was despised so I could be received. He suffered so I could rejoice. He was, he was despised of men. He was rejected by his father so I could be received in. Could you imagine? Any, it, all fathers in here, imagine this. Rejecting your own son to bring in a stranger. I, I, I can't. I can't even think about it. I can't even think about how God loved me that much. And when I start thinking, you know what? I'm never going to get victory over this. I'm never going to get victory over this. I'm never going to get past this. I'm never going to go further for God. I'm never going to do anything worthwhile for God. He saved me. And you know what? If all, I, like I've been, like I listened to a message the other day. If all I ever do is reach 10 people for Jesus, it's for his glory. We ought not to look at it in our eyesight. We ought to look at the fact that Jesus Christ and his blood was shed for us. Hallelujah.